Hello and welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the sight and sound greatest films of all time critics poll week by week and discuss what makes a great film great. I am Brian. I'm here with Hannah. And Hannah, what are we talking about today? Uh, We are talking today about the delightful, the incomparable, the beautiful singing in the rain so what did you think of this movie? oh my gosh i i mean i'm neutral yeah you're neutral no oh. i um i adore this movie i've seen it four or five times in my life but it's definitely been since high school or college so not to mm, not to yeah. age myself but a good decade since i've seen it last so i definitely have some new thoughts but um overall just still adore this movie adore yeah it. yeah Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to give you a quick summary. Um, This is a spoiler, but also this movie came out in 1952. So when you're 71 years old, um, I'm not going to give a give a spoiler or or hesitate from sharing the entire plot of the movie, because again, just go watch it. Um, If you don't want a spoiler, quick, pause the podcast, head on over to HBO Max. Is that right? HBO Max. HBO Max and watch it. Such a great movie. Sure. Should do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Singing in the Rain is set in the late 1920s, um, height of the silent film era. It stars Gene Kelly as Don Lockwood, the handsome and popular silent film star of the day. At his side, you've got his childhood bestie, Cosmo Brown, played by Donald O'Connor. And to his chagrin, you've got his on-camera and rumored off-camera love, Lena Lamont, played by the gorgeous Gene Hagen. So one night after escaping some adoring fans, Don meets Kathy Selden, played by Debbie Reynolds, um, and the encounter is just not a meet cute. Kathy insults his career, insisting that she aspires to the greater art of stage acting, and the two just shout insults at each other, only for Don to leave in a huff. Um, the two are reluctantly reunited only hours later when Kathy stars as the cheesy entertainment at a party that Don is attending. I'm talking jump out of a cake to have what I think is a very sweet, but um, very uh, unsophisticated performance. Mm. So after this delightful dance number, some really good slapstick comedy, Don now is obsessed with Kathy, can't get her out of his head, spends weeks days we don't really know the timeline but a good bit of time and energy trying to find this woman again um now also at this party guests are shown the new phenomenon in film called the talking picture though some are pretty skeptical we jump next to don and lena shooting their their first talkie the this new french romance called the dueling cavalier and we see them shooting it having issues with the microphones um, and then we see the preview, and it's just a series of disasters. The the dialogue, the the dubbing, I mean, everything is horrible. The audience is laughing. But the biggest problem here is Lena's voice. It's squeaky and squawky, and she can't stand, and she can't have even possibly, I'm going to drop the accent. She can't that seem a pretty to good one, I thought, though. strong, Brooklyn. I think it's Brooklyn, some sort of, you know, uh, uh, crummy accent which up until now wasn't a problem because she wasn't speaking in film so basically this film that the studio has put their biggest stars on that they've spent all their money on it's going to be a flop 
So we get a few delightful musical numbers. Um, Kathy's back in the picture. Uh, We learn that she is incredibly talented, has a beautiful velvety voice, sings like an angel. So Cosmo suggests that they turn this movie into a musical and they use Kathy to dub over both Lena's speaking and singing voice. Mm -hmm. But they decide to not tell Lena. She's been the star. She's got an ego. Don doesn't really like her. They don't want to tell her that. Um, and Don and Kathy are, of course, now in love, and they make plans to launch Kathy's new public career after the filming of this new movie is over. So mm-hmm. basically, we're going to do one favor for Lena. We're going to phase Lena out and enter the stage of Kathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, Lena finds out and she strong arms the movie studio into basically locking Kathy in as her behind the scenes voice dubber for all of her future films. But Lena gets hers. After the premiere of the new film, Two Standing Ovation, the -hmm. crowd calls Lena out on stage to sing an encore. Now, Don and Cosmo are quick. They have an idea to place Kathy right on center stage behind the curtain and have her sing, of course, Singing in the Rain, where Lena is uh, lip syncing it perfectly. And at the very right moment, they pull the curtain up to reveal to the audience that it is actually Kathy singing and not Lena. Now, Lena is embarrassed. Her career is over. And then, of course, the the movie ends with Don and Kathy sharing a big old smooch under the poster for their new film, Singing in the Rain. Wonderful. Yeah. So, Brian, tell mm-hmm. me tell me your thoughts. What did you think of this movie? Sure. So this is the first time I've seen this movie in its entirety. I've seen sort of bits and pieces up to this point. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I think... Uh, a couple of my favorite things, um, I think Kathy and Cosmo are the absolute stars of this movie. Oh, yeah. they, uh, they get so much, uh, fun stuff to do. I love the chemistry between Don and Kathy. I think that's really well done. I liked that it, there's very light conflict in the movie, but there is conflict that sort of drives the story forward. At first, it's is Don going to get Kathy? Can he find Kathy again? And then maybe like 40, 45 minutes in, it switches where they get together. But then immediately this movie, you know, it becomes clear that this movie that Don and Lena have been filming is going to be a flop. And so the plot sort of switches to be about about that conflict and trying to uh, rescue this movie. And then at the end, you get sort of a stinger where everything comes together of the movie is great, but then, you know, Kathy is upset with Don for asking her to basically be uh, Lena's double at the show there. And um, and so um, you get one last sort of tag of will they or won't they uh, there. We love a will they together. or won't they. Yeah. Jim and Pam from the films. So, yeah. Um, I thought the character of Lena was interesting. I don't think it was as bad as it could have been. I tend to not like when characters are just plot devices where they're pretty one note. They don't have a lot of depth to them. And their main point is just to drive the plot forward and be sort of uh, an antagonist. I uh, some wholeheartedly sort. disagree. 
Okay, that's interesting. So <laughs> okay. the reason I think it works is that Gene Hagen uh, does a really good job with the character and plays it almost entirely for laughs, which I think ends up working well in the uh, the framework of the film. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Yeah. So what were your thoughts uh, coming back to this movie after almost a 10 year break? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think this is probably the first time I looked at it knowing I'd have to have a discussion about it later. So of course that makes you look at it a little bit differently. Um, I really appreciated a couple of things uh, at the very beginning. You have a really interesting sequence where um, Don Lockwood is, uh, uh, you know, at his at a big movie premiere, he's got Cosmo by his side, which I love and Lena in her white furs on his arm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're kind of asking him about his life up until this point. And you see, you have his voice over of mm-hmm. um, dignity. And I was given the finest education. I had the best opportunities. Mm-hmm. But during this voiceover, you get pictures of what actually happened. Yeah, where yeah. he and Cosmo were these scrappy guys just, you know, doing slapstick comedy and 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 begging to, to be put on stage in whatever area in a very... Um, undignified perhaps yeah, yeah. Uh, way until he finally made it. And so I think it's so interesting. The, the, this, well, one, it's pre-social media, so it's a lot easier yeah. to do this, but this perception of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this whole movie is basically about how Hollywood is not as it seems, but they're able to give their own image. I mean, the fact that, um, you know, they can put out this story that Don and Lena are in love or or rumored romance because mm-hmm. the studios basically own the entire public persona of their people, mm-hmm. um, which I just think is really, really interesting in that he he wants to portray this image of having had the best opportunities instead of someone who's like, I, I, I scrapped. I did what I could to get here and now I'm here. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and now <laughs> we're going to go into, um, we're going to call it Hannah's Feminist Corner. First of all, this movie, we think it does pass the Bechdel test, which um, for those of you who don't know, and sorry to radicalize you now, uh, the Bechdel <laughs> test, it's its a measure of how women are represented um, primarily in film, but it can also exist in, in TV and stage and any other type of um, art that is representing women in any way. Um, the test basically asks whether or not the film features at least two women talking um, about something other than a man. So if 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 the entire movie was just um, Lena and Kathy fighting over Dawn, it would fail the Bechtel test. But it actually isn't about that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I want to get into about Lena. I think mm-hmm. the way that this movie... Um, the way that this movie kind of the, the the two main female characters and how it how it represents them, what their motivations are. You do have a third minor, or actually two minor female characters. One played by the incomparable Rita Moreno. I just wanted to point that out because I love her. Right, love her. Um, but but Kathy's character, she is. Um, well, first of all, Debbie Reynolds was nineteen years old when this movie. So she amazing, had, amazing. Yeah. Never danced before. Mm-hmm. Um, she was apparently a gymnast, but had mm-hmm. never danced. Um, she, her character is innocent. She is pure. She is, um, hesitant of love because she, 
but then Don wins her over with, you know, his his slick dance moves and his face that's 40% teeth. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 a love story that a, a beautiful ingenue gets gets the big star. Um and Lena, I think she represents a lot of what was going on with this transition from silent film to talkies. Um, you know, so many people, their mm-hmm. career in Hollywood was over. Yeah. Whether they didn't have the voice, they didn't have the look, they didn't have something that really couldn't translate to a talking media. Yeah. And uh, apparently the writers of this movie um, at one point lived in a home that was owned by someone who went belly up from the transition. Uh, and that was like their inspiration for this movie. Yeah. But Lena is just trying to hold on to her career. She yeah. unfortunately, well, she sees it coming. And unfortunately, the 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 main threat of her career being ended is Kathy. Because mm-hmm. Lena, in her mind, she thinks that she and Don are actually in love. So mm-hmm. not only is she losing her professional partner, she's losing who she thinks is her romantic partner yeah. to somebody else, to somebody younger, to somebody, um, I wouldn't say more beautiful because both actresses are phenomenally mm-hmm. gorgeous. Um, but so I, I think that what she does is she is trying to hold on to her career. Yeah. Um, and so part of me just wants to say justice for Lena because yeah. she is um she's just trying to get by. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's at the expense of someone who doesn't deserve it because it's not Kathy's fault that Lena mm-hmm. doesn't have what it takes to transition mm-hmm. to a talkie. Um but something I think is really interesting too is at the very end, the big mm-hmm. reveal of Lena's fraud. Um, mm-hmm. when Don and Cosmo have the idea to put Kathy there to dub behind Lena, they don't tell Kathy why. They don't mm-hmm. tell her. It's because they're going to reveal that Lena is mm-hmm. a fraud. They just say, go stand here and sing. Yeah. And it's almost as if they want to protect her innocence in a way yeah. where it's like why bother doing that? Because at this point, Kathy is like, we're done, Don. Like you want, you told yeah. me this, you were going to make, let me be mm-hmm. yeah. with you publicly. And now you're saying I can't forget you. And so she is about to run off and leave him at the end of it. And so mm-hmm. I think it's just so innocent, interesting that the villain character, mm-hmm. which really, I don't think Lena is a villain, but they, mm-hmm. if you have to put someone in that role, the villain yeah. character is a strong woman trying to, get by and the angel character is someone whose innocence has to be protected by the men around her yeah yeah interesting so i i do like that kathy gets this extra bit of development beyond just being a romantic lead of Mm -hmm. there is talk of her and her career her career is important to her um the the thing with Lena, I think I completely agree with you of her her motivations make sense, which I think solves a lot of the problem. I just think that the the movie doesn't necessarily want us to empathize with her. Sure. Um, and if they'd given her character a little bit more depth and allowed her that little bit more empathy from the audience, I think it maybe would have made uh, that character work for me a little bit more. Sure. I know because it's really the, vi- <laughs> the villain is advancement. The villain, the yeah, villain is, yeah. is 
aging out of an industry, yeah. whatever it might look like, not aging out, but that mm-hmm. it, it surpasses what your talents and, are that you can yeah. bring to it. And that's not necessarily what this movie is trying to do. Right. It's not trying to tell like a tragic story of Lena and that would be a great uh, be a idea cool for a spinoff. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> movie, movie starring Lena. Yeah. You heard it here first. Let's see. Uh, showing her, I mean, Babylon sort of did that. Uh, oh, with goodness. Margot like character. a whole nother maybe at one point we can do a bonus episode mm, yeah yeah <laughs> interesting okay so uh is that your feminist corner that anything else you want to add corner. um no i did think it was very funny though so uh just some behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. when um uh you're you're in you're seeing kathy dub lena's voice mm-hmm. the singing voice was debbie reynolds but the speaking voice is actually gene hagan so yeah. it, which i just thought was funny <laughs> that they, they kind of think that um, I also want to point out that this film is only nominated for two Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, yeah. one for Lenny Hayton, who was the score um director, mm-hmm. and the other was for Gene Hagen for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, so I think right. it's very yeah. interesting. I don't really understand or know a lot of the history mm-hmm. of um, you know, the Oscars in the 50s and kind of how they were structured, but this movie is on every single list of like mm-hmm. best movies ever. And so I think it's very interesting that um, that doesn't necessarily line up with how it was received at the time, yeah. from a, at least a critical standpoint. Yeah, I think the Academy might have... I don't disagree with the Academy because, you know, obviously the, the, the characters who pop off the screen would be Cosmo Ugh, and Kathy. Cosmo. Um, when, and, and, you know, uh, Don is, is fine. He's doing like typical leading man stuff yeah. and he does it pretty well, but it's just not as interesting as what, what the others are given to do. But, um, Jean Hagen, she's not given a lot to work with in terms of, her character and she does a lot with the little she really she's does. given i i think she is have you seen her anything else i have not i haven't that i can think of it could be one of those where you turn on another movie and you're like i've yeah, seen yeah. you before did you yeah, notice certainly possible as a first time seeing this things that are present have have occurred in pop culture as a result of singing in the rain you're like mm-hmm. oh that's what that's from did you find that with anything I mean the the scene in the rain with him singing in the umbrella is pretty iconic. I'd sure. say that's transcended uh, the movie itself. Um, I can't think of any others that that popped out to me of like, oh, that's where this is from. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, Brian, I know you have a fun little game for yes. us. I do. <laughs> before I we get to that, um, we perhaps should have done this at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. We maybe have some things. Uh, some darker things about the movie in general or the production mm, that we yeah. might need to address. Yeah. Um, just we do not condone and want to acknowledge. Um, yeah. The first of which, you know, this movie was was made in the 50s at a yeah. time where they just maybe pretended that other races didn't exist. Mm. But um, there is one scene, it's very minor, um, where there is some unfortunate blackface. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a part where Don is walking through a movie studio and you see him walking across a couple of different shoots that are happening. One of which is um, 
it's a it's a tribal scene, uh, presumably mm-hmm. in Africa or perhaps South America, and um, yeah. you don't actually see any black makeup on the character's face, but some of the characters are wearing like black unitards with you know banana leaf heads on and things like mm-hmm. that. And so I just think you know blackface isn't mm-hmm. great. We don't love it. Um, we unfortunately might see it some more seeing some of these older movies um on this list yeah uh you heard it here first blackface bad <laughs> please tell me this isn't the first place you've heard this <laughs> uh, another thing uh that um that i feel like is worth noting is that uh arthur freed who's a producer on the movie and uh the writer of many of the songs has had uh some me too type allegations uh that are almost certainly true yeah me too uh, type in the yeah. in, in the worst case of um, yes. sexual exploitation of minors yes. not great not great so, uh, so do not condone that also there are some gene kelly um mm-hmm. some some pretty corroborated allegations of just kind of bullyish behavior yeah you yeah. know debbie reynolds had was 19 had never danced before and gene kelly was a perfectionist and a very strong aggressive personality and there are many credible stories of him leaving her in tears yeah um so none of those behaviors are things that are Mm -hmm. we support yeah um we are thankful that in spite of some of Mm -hmm. these negative things good art was made but we also know that good art can be made perfectly fine when things Mm -hmm. like this don't occur yeah and it's an interesting uh it's an interesting thing for me of at what point do these things affect the art itself in such a way that it almost becomes unwatchable which i think has happened for me with a lot of Woody Allen films, especially in the ones that mm. he stars, where it's just hard to watch or appreciate um, anymore. I didn't find that um, with this as much, and I don't know exactly where where the that line is. line is. I think, yeah, I mean, you find the same thing with... Uh-huh. I get really uncomfortable listening to Michael Jackson music. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I definitely don't even attempt to listen to R. Kelly. So I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, what point does the artistic contribution outweigh, not outweigh, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a difficult line. And I think a lot of people have probably have more intelligent thoughts than we do. Um, Particularly (laughs) as white people, we might not be the best people to, to Mm -hmm. be leading any sort of discussion in this, but yeah. yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't know about anything with Gene Kelly going into this. Mm-hmm. It was only in kind of doing a little bit of deeper research and yeah. preparation for this podcast that it was like, well, that's not great. But apparently there are um Do- uh Donald uh, O'Connor who played Cosmo. There mm-hmm. are apparently some some really sweet stories of him trying to basically create act as a shield between uh <laughs> Uh, yeah. to to Debbie Reynolds from uh, Gene Kelly's um, ire. Uh, completely unsurprising. That completely he's unsurprising. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, he is the star of this. So I think, you know, there is in a, in a you know, I can take it, you can't. But of mm-hmm. course, apparently he was smoking like four packs a day. I know. And how did, you know, make him laugh, which we'll get to, but yeah. is is one of the best performances ever across anything. Uh-huh. Um 
he was he was laid up in bed for a couple days yeah, after I that. Heard that. Yeah, I heard that. That's very funny. okay. So, um, yeah, Brian, you have a game. Let's play yes, the game. let's play the game. So I love ranking things. Ugh. Hannah does not. Uh, <laughs> I always try to make her rank things, or uh, but I've decided that for the sake of this podcast today. Hannah, you can participate and tell me I'm crazy when things are high or low, but I will not force you to rank the songs. So in caveat. Yep. Brian asks me to rank things with no preparation. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. with no like guidelines. So like okay. what's yeah. the best five movies ever? What are the best five movies ever? What? How can I do that? Just yeah. pull out the I mean, I can cover the side and sound list and yeah. tell you their uh-huh. opinion. But that's where I'm at with little to no preparation. Yeah. I could have done this exercise perhaps mm-hmm. but also it's kind of fun to just let you do it all right and give you my my judgments okay well let's get started um i'm gonna start at the bottom of the list and uh and work my way up so my least favorite song in this would be or and and we're talking not just the music but also the performances and everything that goes into sure uh into these uh musical acts essentially the Broadway melody ballet did not really work for me. It was very long. Very long, yeah. Uh, I think seven or eight minutes. Uh, yeah. It's it's very long. There are a couple of parts that I think are are excellent. Uh, it feels very uh, shoehorned into the movie where it doesn't necessarily make sense for it to be a part of this movie. And they have a couple throwaway lines of like, Oh, we've got to make it modern and do this framing device where this guy is like dreaming backstage. And, and that's how they get to this Broadway melody ballet. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It So the, I think the redeeming part is uh, the one dance between him and I don't know who that lady is, but Sid Charisse. And she is this long legs, dark eyes. I mean, beautiful the way she holds herself in a pretty sensual dance Mm -hmm. for the 50s. I was a little surprised. I heard they had to cut a couple of frames out of that scene because it (laughs) was. Oh no, clutch my pearls, yeah. you know. But the 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 train of her dress and mm-hmm. the, the neat things they do with that, I yeah. thought that was uh really well done. But the rest of this doesn't really work for me, especially because it just doesn't really seem to fit into the film. Uh next one would be uh Would You, which is a lesser known uh song from this, but it's essentially played during uh, the dancing cavalier at the end when you actually see the movie during the screening. Um, it's meant to be uh, Kathy's voice, but it's actually sung by a different actress and not Gene Hagen either. So, yeah, so they dubbed Kathy dubbing <laughs> Lena Lamont. Okay. So, interesting right. stuff. Interesting choice. I think Kathy's voice, as we'll get into uh in some of these other songs is wonderful and Mm -hmm. i see no need to uh to do that but um so that one doesn't uh doesn't make it very high on my list the next two uh fit as a fiddle and all i deem of all i do is dream of you these are pretty minor songs uh in the movie they're they're catchy uh you have fit as a fiddle which is part of that sort of opening montage where you get uh cosmo and dawn uh, doing their act. I 
adored all I do is dream of you. Yeah, I think yeah. just so that is um, you know, when Kathy jumps out of the cake and has her little performance yeah. with um eight or ten other ladies yeah. all dressed in little mm -hmm. these little bathing costumes. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I adore this number. Yeah. I would place it much higher. <laughs> it's something about I think it it plays also it's it's light, it's peppy, it kind mm -hmm. of adds more to the innocence of Kathy's character. I yeah. love it. I would put okay. it higher. But all right. Yeah. I like it. Uh next song I have here is uh You Were Meant for Me, which is the uh Dawn and Kathy number towards the middle of the film. Great, great stuff. I think um, it's oh, really well done. No, go ahead. I was gonna say I think it's it's Kathy or or Debbie Reynolds' performance particularly in this it, that just that number. Mm -hmm. She she plays hesitant very well. Yeah. And you can see as Don, I mean, this person is, he's confessing his love for her. And she's like, mm -hmm. you are the biggest star on earth. This, mm -hmm. I think this number, the song is fine, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but particularly her performance as moving very quickly, but believably from hesitant to mm -hmm. what this is to just fully giving in to his affection. Mm -hmm. So what happens as this number is being performed around? Yeah, <laughs> and it's done in this beautiful, like, vacant back lot where they turn on these, you know, lights, and it's it's very beautifully lit and done, and the the dancing the is dancing it's great. Is well, she has a way of dancing so lightly on mm -hmm. her feet in this number. Yeah, I just want to go watch this one again. I always forget about mm -hmm. it, um, because it's you know. Well, there's much, much more well-known and probably more mm -hmm. deserving of top spots coming mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Okay. So that's my number five. My number four is Moses, <laughs> which is just so much fun. Just, you Can know, you John it? and Cosmo uh, palling it up. Moses supposes his noses are roses, but erroneously. Erroneously, yeah. Erroneously, <laughs> uh, yeah. But great, uh, and and I, you know, I love this number. And making fun of the diction coach is is uh, is a fun thing, and uh, it's just silly, just fun. And Cosmo's uh, yep. flat fa face slapstick as he's making fun of the coach. Mm -hmm. He's got some good faces. Yeah, he I does that and make him laugh too, oh, which is wonderful. great. The, no one can see this, but him like screwing his face up and like trying to get it straight is very funny. Oh, uh, good slapstick. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Moses at number four. Number three, I've got Singing in the Rain. Okay. All right. Great number. Gene Kelly does an excellent job in this. This was where I was like, okay, yeah, Gene Kelly is is excellent. And he's dancing with this umbrella. It's well choreographed. You've got all this beautiful rain falling down. I Bottom believe that he's in love from this yeah. performance. The mm -hmm. way he's he's light and he's happy. And he's kind of just like mm -hmm. this like blissful smile. And I think if nobody has seen this movie and sees this scene, they'll say, oh, yeah. Like yeah. it's very... Yeah. Um, it's iconic. Most iconic number. Yeah. Uh, maybe our number two would be slightly more iconic. I'd put them both in the same sort of arena. Make them laugh. You've heard of number two? I'd, I'd heard of make them laugh. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I'd heard of make them laugh. Uh, so this is uh, Donald O'Connor's uh, great number where it's very uh, comedic. It's very slapstick. The choreography in this Beautiful. is just incredible. You got these like people moving boards around and he's weaving 
through and around them while singing the song. And then the song sort of devolves where he starts singing a line and then sort of stops because he's got something comedic to do. It's, it's, just... it's like the perfect combination of cross <laughs> comedy and, mm -hmm. and just spatial reasoning. Mm -hmm. And then he's got slapstick on top of it. Mm -hmm. I, this is like, this one for me is number one yeah. by a long mm -hmm. shot. I think it is, I think, I mm -hmm. mean, the part where he is jumping up the wall and doing flips <laughs> over, I don't know. I, yeah. I adore this number. Yeah. The little, the little mannequin doll stuff <laughs> is hilarious as well. Uh, yeah, all, all of that, uh, great stuff. The reason why I have this at number two mm. is that there are things that this movie does really well that aren't necessarily represented in this number. Okay. What Make Him Laugh does, it does perfectly but so uh so does number one and it's more representative of the rest of the film okay. uh so for example in make him laugh you don't have any uh you don't have any tap dancing you don't really have any any dancing really it's more of a comedy routine sort of thing um well i guess which, it just depends on how you define dance yeah that, <laughs> that is true that is true so number one for me is good morning sure yeah good morning uh I, I don't know how famous this song is. I it hadn't transcended uh pop culture uh to me. Interesting. So you had but, heard Make Him Laugh. Yes. But you hadn't heard Hadn't Good heard Good Morning. Okay. Yeah. But this is so you've got uh the three leads all together and doing just wonderful things. You get Kathy really pops in this number, mm -hmm. I'd say. It's it's really, really well done how they use her she absolutely holds her own in terms of uh the dancing the singing um and you have little bits of everything you have that sort of make them laugh type prop comedy where they have the bit with their coats and then they do that uh that funny you know sort of i don't, I don't even know what to call it but they're like using their coats as instruments and kathy's dancing and, yeah. yeah so i think it's hilarious uh you have some really great tapping you've got dancing you've got singing it's just all of the things Very that make make this movie uh great so i really love it and so last thing i'll say on this is so starting with good morning that 10 minutes there so you have good morning at the end you have singing in the rain in the middle Cosmo invents dubbing? <laughs> Incredible. Iconic. Tell me a better Ken than a cinema. He's a king. Yeah. He's a king. So good. So good. Man, I, <laughs> you might have me convinced. I'm going to yep. say good morning and make him laugh are tied. Okay. Love it. So I yep. went from make him laugh being number one by a long shot mm -hmm. to having good morning tie. That's my final offer on my opinion. Love it. But I don't I often change my mind because I'm usually correct. So yeah, that's true. I'll allow that's that. true. I also, with Cosmo inventing dubbing, the scene where you've got Don and Cosmo and the um, uh, uh, R.F. Simpson, who yep. is yep. Uh, played by Millard Mitchell. He's the uh, studio executive. The scene where they're in his office and they're like, what are we going to do with this flop mm -hmm. of a movie? And mm -hmm. you have the three of them pacing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of them turns around with an idea and then they pace some more and turns yeah. around with an idea. And, of course, every idea is Cosmos mm -hmm. because he's he's king. 
Um, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. The pacing. And I think something about this era is that the movies were all real bad. Yeah. You had some yeah. like uh, era meaning the 20s. It mm-hmm. had some good stuff that showed up, obviously. Yeah. The live, it was just real dumb because yeah. audiences didn't have a lot to expect. Mm-hmm. So I think um, this kind of like coming up with things on the fly, like how can we use this footage that we have for and not spend a lot more money. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought, yeah, Cosmo, man, those blue eyes, those cheekbones. Mm. I'm a Cosmo girl. Love it. Love it. I love it. All okay. right. So uh, what do we what do we have next, Hannah? I think let's just kind of share some of our final thoughts. Okay. Um, I would say that the only thing I want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, is the costumes. Mm. My goodness. These oh, so beautiful. I mean, the apparently the costume budget was exorbitant. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I thought interesting, I mean, this again, the movie was made in 1952, mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. late 20s. Yeah. So a lot of the people who are seeing this movie would be familiar with the fashions of that day. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, oh God, this is embarrassing, but 25 years ago was 1998. Mm-hmm. So like think yeah. about a movie being made from the mid nineties. Yeah. We would remember, mm-hmm. oh gosh, of course that's a, now all fashionable now with these mm-hmm. zoomers and what they wear. But mm-hmm. um, so I think that they had to put a lot of, of, of attention to, creating the hollywood fashions of back then there's the one scene um it's kind of a throwaway song i don't even remember the number but it's um uh this the movie being produced or the the, what's being shot in the studio Mm -hmm. is like a commercial for a fashion line Mm -hmm. and so you've got this man singing this song surrounded by 10 beautiful women of course one of which Mm -hmm. is kathy Mm -hmm. and you see him kind of do a speaking thing of all of the different costumes you know you've got her in fur and the bride wears white and all Mm -hmm. of these things and every single costume is beautiful it's impeccable Mm -hmm. i don't know a lot about 20s fashion yeah um but i i could live a hundred years ago and Mm -hmm. and be draped in the elegance of that age yeah the costumes Mm. do you have anything to say about the costumes i do not have anything to say about the costumes i have a uh, very minor thought uh, that I'll share quickly about uh, the the one sort of leadish character that we haven't talked about, which is the uh, studio executive R.F. Simpson, mm-hmm. uh, played probably more sympathetically uh, and as more of a hero than studio executives for that uh, era <laughs> should be so that uh didn't entirely work for me but i get how it's necessary to uh to move the plot along that the studio executive sort of goes along with them sure yeah. sure interesting yep. okay all right well, that is singing in the rain that is classic. singing in the rain as a reminder it's number 10 on the sight and sound list it's it appropriately placed i think I need to see the rest of the movies. That's very uh, there are It's a hard... Uh... There are movies lower than this that I would rank above it. There are probably movies above it that I would rank below it. Hey, Brian, rank all 100 right now without any prep time. Well, I haven't seen all 100. So <laughs> give me just a moment. Goodness. Uh, okay, so uh, to wrap things up here, 
we've got a uh, a new segment that we're adding uh, for the very beginning of uh, of our list here. This is number one. Uh, number 100 that we are going to watch, which is my selection. I get all the even numbers and Hannah gets all the odd numbers. Number 100 we're going to watch is going to be 2001 A Space Odyssey, which we've both seen. I love it. Hannah, you said you didn't get it quite? Yeah. I just don't like... So I've seen three Kubrick films. Mm -hmm. 2001 The Shining, which is phenomenal and um eyes wide, eyes wide shut. shut yeah and with the okay so the shining i get i think i showed you dr strange love too i maybe fell asleep yeah. during it. sorry yeah. about that um okay. i feel like kubrick has this thing of like how weird can i be mm-hmm. and if you don't get it then you don't then you're not good enough mm-hmm. it's emperor's new mm-hmm. situation so not with pretentious but just weirdness maybe mm-hmm. so I didn't know how to feel about 2001. I mm-hmm. think I also drank an entire bottle of wine mm. while we watched it yep. and snuggled with our dogs. So mm. maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm incredibly excited to watch it one more time in my life. Yeah, so, so what we're going to do in this segment is every episode I am going to give Hannah one fact about 2001 A Space Odyssey with the hope spot that by episode 100, I will have convinced her of its greatness and we can watch it and talk about how great 2001 A Space Odyssey is. What's going to be interesting is that you're not going to find 2000 or 100 facts. Oh, I absolutely am. So number one, uh, number one here is that People dressing up in monkey costumes is true cinema. Is that an opinion or a fact? That's a fact. It's 100% a fact. All right. So next week on What a Picture, we are going to be talking about the new Sight and Sound number one movie of all time, which is John Dealman. I'm very excited to watch this and to have thoughts on it because many people have thoughts, mostly... Uh, from people who have seen the movie, positive. From people who have not seen the movie and want to uh, just critique that a women director made it to number one, mostly you think negative that's thoughts. Why? That's a woman director, or because of the content. I think uh, I think a little bit of both sure. is why they're critiquing it. Having never seen the movie, we've never seen the movie, I and I already love it. I so. already love it. All right. (laughs) Uh, So we're doing John Dealman now. You can watch John Dealman on the Criterion channel. You can also watch it on HBO Max. So it is available in both of those places as of this recording. And so go check it out. And we will talk about it next week. Sounds good. See y'all soon. Thanks for joining us on What a Picture.